Well, theological question of today is, how are your brackets doing <laughs> for your March Madness? Uh, you all know that I have a very gracious wife. It's March Madness in our house, and she's just mad. <laughs> More basketball on our television, and thank. Fortunately, we celebrated my father's 85th birthday last uh, yesterday, and I have five brothers, and so between the seven men, we all love basketball, and so we got. There was no ch chance of all three TVs. At one time, all three TVs in the house had the games on, so that gives you a little bit of an indication of where it is at our place. Well, we're talking about a uh, Celtic spirituality, and if you were not with us last week, we talked about St. Patrick, and we, we brought to light, I think, that it's a lot more than green beer, and that what a significantly spiritual man he was and the significance of how he trans transformed all of Ireland and, and his legacy is, is still felt today in terms of how they went about not only their approach to God but their approach to that great commission and, and what we call evangelistic disciple making and we're very much going to be following in that line today. And we're going to continue to do the same kind of things we did last week. Uh, in just a few minutes, uh, Dave's going to join us, and he's with the youth choir right now rehearsing. And he's going to come in, so you're going to need a hymnal ready to go. So if you don't have a hymnal, grab one, because when he comes in, he told me, we get a, we get a sense of what you guys go through in choir when he comes in here. Uh, and, and you better have that hymnal ready to go when he comes in because when he hits the door, he's running. And we're going to talk today a little bit about St. Columba. And St. Columba, uh, call him Kelly, or Kelly, uh, would be translated the, the um, church dove, meaning the, the peace, the church peace. And we're going to be talking about Iona. And so you're right on cue, Dave. You're ready to go. And we've had, I think all three of us now have been to Iona. And it's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. So you're going to see some pictures of that today. We're going to hear about St. Columba, who was one of those that came out of St. Patrick's uh, tradition. And so, David, take it away. And the mic and everything is right there for you. I'd like to just take a few minutes to do a quick overview of what's going on in music that originates from the Isle of Iona. That is one of our more famous examples of it. And I, I, I began with that, two reasons, many of you know it. Secondly, 
Um, it uses a phrase that our um, choir anthem today at the 1030 service will use from the Song of Solomon, uh, set your seal upon my heart. And um, the, the rest of that text we sing is that love is stronger than death. Well, that's one reason I wanted to do that. And um, some people would think of a body of repertoire similar to that from Iona uh, in a similar context, and that's from Taizé. That is another community in the uh, southern shores of France that has developed its own repertoire of music to help people spiritually with uh, the messages that come from that tradition. And in uh, the Iona tradition, there, there's first and foremost one thing that's important to know is that it's not all about John Bell. Uh, we do associate his name uh, with that. Uh, and his collaborator for a lot of the text is Graham Mall, uh, just a little bit younger fellow than John Bell. Uh, they work together on so many things, but more important than their individual compositions and poems is the fact that the tradition from Iona is global music, cross-cultural, multilingual. Now, um, the Iona community is a dispersed Christian uh, ecumenical community. That, that means that they are out in the world doing their work. They, they're not on the island of Iona. They have agreed, they have a covenant of what makes them members of their community. And that covenant involves um, tremendous commitment financially uh, and uh, attendance for the community is only once a year that they should be on the island because their work is for justice and peace and reconciliation throughout the world. So that's why their music reflects that work out in the world. It's a lot of um, traditional music from many, many different cultures, many different languages. And what John Bell and Graham Mell have done is assemble that and use it often for worship on the island. But most of their work is actually in Glasgow, in the slums of Glasgow. Now, those of you who have traveled Scotland know there's a huge difference between Edinburgh and Scotland, economically, class-wise, and everything else because Glasgow was the sailor uh, sailing, you know, the sea city that uh, had a very different kind of clientele coming and uh, living and working. And uh, so by tradition, the work of Iona community has been very intense in the uh, less fortunate parts of Glasgow and then beyond. Let's look at some more things very briefly. Uh, because you know some of these things. 726 in our hymnal, would you look please? Uh, this is a wonderful example of the Iona tradition. 726. Now what you'll notice about, I think, Celtic spirituality in general, but evident in the work that Graham Mall and John Bell have done, is to use language almost as holy ground. That's my interpretation, my assessment of what goes on in their poetry. Because they come up with words that have depth of meaning. And, and often it's a, a visceral, uh, in-your-face kind of language as well. This particular song we have done, uh, and I think we know it pretty well here at Christchurch. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? So notice, do a quick overview. Look at the first four verses. These are in quotes. And who is being addressed? Who is the speaker? Who is the one uh, addressing us? Well, I'm hoping it's obvious that it's Christ talking to us. We're singing those words, but it's Christ addressing us until verse 5. And then we answer, right? Verse 5, Lord, your summons echoes true when you but 
call my name. So the word summons, I find to be pretty strong. It's, it's a word that has such uh, almost legalistic terms, doesn't it? And I find that to be very, very meaningful. Let's do a quick overview. 773. And by the way, if you were to look in the index under authors and composers, you would find uh, several uh, entries uh, for John Bell. 773 is one that we have not learned at Christ Church, but I hope we will soon. And this is one of those hymns that challenges us to have a new look at what it means to use the gospel for social social justice ministries and reconciliation. And I, I think that there are probably some things here that do seem to be a little bit in your face for a lot of us. Heaven shall not wait for the poor to lose their patience, the scorned to smile, the despised to find friend. Jesus is Lord. He has championed the unwanted. In him, injustice confronts its timely end. And uh, I ask you to take just a moment to read the other three verses before we go on to one more example of Iona tradition. Could you be honest and, and raise your hand if you are challenged or even maybe in disagreement with some of the strong, visceral text of, of this hymn? It, are you challenged by it? Jim, yeah. I gave, I left it open. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of leeway. And so are you just not ready to respond? <laughs> or are you, are you not here? <laughs> I, I don't think you can take that uh, text casually, can you? And that may be, w actually, I have to say, this is one of the best known texts of, uh, of John Bell. But I, I will be honest, and I haven't checked with my uh, supervisor boss, Pastor Dave DeRees, to see if we're ready to sing this. It's a wonderful, wonderful tune and wonderful text. I, I actually, I want to move right on because our time is limited, if you don't mind, to 797. We have sung 797 recently, 797. And... Um, I think I want to do this because it, it does have a, more of a current uh, relevancy for us right now about the cross. And um, last week, uh, the gospel was a little bit about healing, uh, and we haven't addressed it too closely. But I'd like for us to sing 797. And if you're comfortable uh, standing to sing, I think you'll do a better job. And uh, let's enjoy this before we turn it over to Greg for the lesson on Iona music.
good job. And I think to disentangle pain from peace is another example of the visceral strength of, of this uh, text tradition. Um, and Greg, is, is there anything else that we wanted to address regarding the Iona? You're going to talk about their worship and other things. And okay. Well, uh, Dave DeVries was there too. And uh, I think that um, I just want to reemphasize that a lot of the music is folk music, not newly composed. The song we just sang is a, is a folk tune, right? So they were using what people already experienced in their culture, and they continue to do that. Celtic tradition is to meet the people in their culture and help them grow into the faith with what they already know. So that's, I think, what I want to lift out is one of the most important parts of, of the success of Iona tradition right now. Which is exactly what we talked about last week, and that tune that ye bonnie banks and braes is they took that scottish culture and uh song and redeemed it now you know why our choir is so good and and dave i can't tell you how many people talked about last sunday night am i right i mean did did we and in the midst of all that, you prepared for Sunday morning here both weeks, and thank you. Oh, was I supposed to prepare this? <laughs> <laughs> As I said to Dave, you'll do better off the cuff than anybody else after an hour or five of preparation, so thank you. And he'll be back next week. We're going to be celebrating uh, Holy Island, Lindisfarne, and Wales, uh, St. David, and so we've moved from from Ireland this week to Scotland and, and then back into the English Celtic tradition. So in just a little bit, our other Dave is going to come and share a little bit with us, but I want to share a little bit before that about St. Columba, who came out of the St. Patrick's tradition, and he took it to another level and to another country. He was an Irishman who took the gospel to Scotland. And if you look on a map, you'll see that that. Northern Ireland and the Scottish Isles, the Hebridean Islands, are very close. And as David was illustrating there, my family came from Glasgow, Glaswegian folk, and we were Ulster Scots as well. My great-grandfather came from Northern Ireland, and it's quite a bit of difference there because that's where they're having all the problems. And uh, it's a lot of times the Presbyterians that are... Uh, causing some of those problems. I mean, it takes, it, take, it takes two sides to tango, right? But uh, there's been a lot, of, lot that has gone on there. But this picture, some of the pictures, my wife and I were there a number of years ago, and there's this, you have to have this sense of, the, of this feeling. We take a ferry to get out to one island, the Isle of Mull, and we stayed at Oban, and it's just a beautiful, uh, uh, not Oban, um, uh, help me, Jane. Uh, the, I'll think of it. Anyway, it, it's a little, little beautiful town on the Isle of Mull, and then you drive down to the very tip of the Isle of Mull to catch another ferry to get out to Iona, and you can't take a car out to Iona because there's only about a mile of road on the whole island, and if everybody brought their car out, nobody would go anywhere because there's just not enough road to put all the cars. And so you literally have to walk from the, the ferry into the little bit of a town. And this town has been built around this cathedral. And this is where St. Columba went. And you get a sense that some of these stones have been there since 600 A.D. And they are still in really great shape. And when we went into this cathedral, we, we joined with people from all around the world, as David indicated, and they have regular prayers throughout the day, and they are praying for the peace of the world. And it is just this really, really incredible um, ethereal place that there hasn't been bloodshed there for almost 2,000 years. And it's this place of peace and when you go into this cathedral and you, and you are kneeling and you are praying and you're saying these prayers with people that you just met on the ferry 
or came on a ferry before you or after you, you get a sense of what the body of Christ can really be and what it really is. And there's, I would recommend anybody, in fact, Dave and I have talked about some time doing you know, a, a tour of, of these Celtic sites and increasing our own spirituality. You get a sense on the map where Iona is and then the Isle of Iona itself and how small it is. But St. Columba, just a little bit, he was, as I said, born in Ireland, 521 A.D., as best we can tell. He was a descendant of a high king, Niall, and that he was the great-great-grandson of that high king. And so he had some royal blood, but he really came to faith and said, we've got to change the world, and he was taught by St. Finian, and Finian had studied with St. David out of Wales, and there's a huge emphasis that St. David had of, of prayer. Wales was known as a place of prayer because of St. David. And when he, when he came, and you see in the upper left-hand corner that little curoc, what they called a curoc, this, this thing was actually a, a wicker basket, is the best way I can describe to you, that they covered with some sort of leather to make it seaworthy. And we're talking about, you know, the North Atlantic. Now, they didn't have a great, great distance to go. But nonetheless, these 12 guys, why do you think 12? Because of the disciples. They go to this little island. They actually landed on one before Iona and decided that wasn't where they wanted to go. And so they came to Iona and said, this is it. And when they were there, they began to, to bring the gospel to, to Scotland. Now, Iona became under, under St. Columba and some of his that followed a real center of, of literacy. That pro, pro, th this produced something that I'm not sure people are totally aware of. But by 1800, this legacy was that eight-year-olds in Scotland, over 90% of eight-year-olds in Scotland were literate, could read and write. Compared even 50 years later, England had only 53% that could read or write. And the thing that drove this literacy was because they wanted people to actually be able to read the Bible. Now the significance of this is that there, was no, there were no Bibles to read. I mean, think about the printing press and when that came in, and think about these kinds of things. We're talking about in the 5th, 6th century when St. Columbus is saying, we've got to do this. In fact, he got into a scuffle in Ireland because he made a copy of a gospel so he could take it to Scotland. And those people in Ireland said, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, think about that. They wanted to keep this for themselves, and he was saying no. And that was, in some ways, the forerunner of a lot of what our heritage has become, particularly in the Presbyterian Church. Literacy was huge in these regards. And so this was a center for literacy because of the priority of the world, of the word, rather. And then uh, also he began a, and, and by the way, the background picture is the, the holy scriptures that are in that chapel when you go in. Um, he started a school of missionaries there. This gives what it looks like coming in from the ferry. And there are myths that surround these guys. Uh, he, there was a supposedly a, a, in, the, in, the, in the waters this monster that had killed a man and he banished this monster into the river Ness, which obviously comes from Loch Ness, and you can fill in the blanks. But there's some myth kinds of stuff. He probably did something uh, that was mu much less of a magnitude that grew over the years. But the truths were that he really did, in fact, establish many, many churches. And in the same way that St. Patrick had started all these churches, uh, St. Columba started them on all these islands. And it was an island group grouping, not so much into the mainland of Scotland until much later. And 
he really did start this concept of a missionary training school. And he had hundreds and hundreds of missionaries in training that he would train and send out. Now remember, if you were here last week, St. Patrick would go to the crossroads of the community and he would bring the people to that crossroads and create a community right within the city, so to speak. Uh, Columba reverted a little bit more to the monastic, but some of that had to do with the fact that on these islands, these, these were often preyed upon. The Vikings and others came in, and they had to have a little bit of protection. And so some by necessity, but also some theologically, the, it, it reverted a little bit back to that monastic uh, philosophy, if, if you will. So the truths were that he started these churches. He started, he had a lot of different disciples, and that would be including uh, St. Aidan, who we'll talk about next week. And St. Aidan went on back then to Holy Island Lindisfarne up in Northumbria in England. Um, the legacy lives on, and you'll see St. Columba appear in many different venues. In fact, uh, the Stockers and I and others have a very good friend who was recently ordained as a layman in the Catholic tradition. And he, was, he received that ordination at St. Columba's in Youngstown, Ohio. That's how close it is to us. That the center of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown is named St. Columba after this saint. And there are many other churches, including this one that my wife and I worshiped in, in New Zealand. And it's on the South Island, and the, the little town that it's in would be similar to like a Lake Placid or a Vail, Colorado. And it is just this incredibly, incredibly warm Anglican community that is celebrating St. Columba. And uh, again, if you go to these places, it, it, they're just outstanding to see how God has moved. But also he uh, started this community in Iona that Dave and Dave have participated in. And even we, we have Iona Colleges in New York, in Windsor. Those are the closest ones to us. And so his legacy continues on, not the least of which, again, is St. Aidan, who then went up to, as I said, to Holy Island. It's called Lindisfarne. And there, because of this emphasis on the scripture and on literacy, that the, that the community at, at Lindisfarne, they copied and produced and preserved the Book of Kells, K-E-L-L-S. And you can get online, go to, you can Google this, and you can actually see these, these works. And they are just fantastic from this perspective that not only is it the scripture written out in longhand, but they are illustrated. They are the original illustrated books because they wanted to bring this beauty to the scripture of the creation and have people be so amazed at, I just love reading this because of how beautiful it is and how ornate it is. And when I say preserved, uh, Thomas Cahill is, is another one of the books that you could read when he talks about how the Irish saved civilization and how they did this there and also uh, at other places where they actually took during the Dark Ages and preserved not only our scriptures that we have today, but much of our literature that would have been destroyed had they not actually you know, taken it and put it in to their, to their vaults and hiding them during those times. And so St. Columba's legacy is not, not the least of which is to pass on how important it was to have the scriptures written and produced and enhanced and illustrated and literacy that allowed people to actually read them. Questions about St. Columba or Iona? Yeah. Yes, he trained there with St. Patrick and then, and then that tradition he, he took with him. And then he passed it on, and we'll see how it goes on 
to St. Aidan, and hopefully today we'll have a little, uh, Dave, why don't you come up and switch over, because we're getting ready to, okay, let's see, Closer up of this end of the abbey, see where the, the second roof comes down. The <laughs> oh, thank you. Do you want that or you want yeah, this? Appreciate it. Okay, um, might be easier this way. The next picture or slide you're going to see is a close-up of right here, right in this area. Um, don't worry. Um, so let's switch out. Thank you. Um, let me take a moment. It is searching. Um, only a, what the heck is that? <laughs> no, it's not my sermon. Yeah, it is my sermon. What's my sermon doing up there? See, I was awake this morning. My goodness. All right, let's see if this will work. Don't be reading that. Don't be reading that yet. Don't. I don't know what's going on here. Did that do anything? Oh, good. That's a lousy slide, but... Well, the, the, what you were supposed to see is my screensaver, which has um, the picture of the Abbey. And if you walk over into that area that I pointed to, what you'll see are the main doors of the... Ab the ch Abbey Church. And in front of that is a high cross. And we're going to talk more about the high cross. But behind that cross, you can see in the shadow um, another little doorway into a little, like, crevice room. And they say that originally St. Columba was buried there, underneath in the floor. But his relics were taken away at one of the attacks on the Abbey uh, to preserve. And if you go up a a wee little staircase, as you might say. It's very, it, it's real small. It's hard for me to get up into this little itty-bitty room up there. There's also a little window that um, you can look out. They say that all of the um, abbots in the years um, used to go up there when they had a crisis going on and needed direct direction from God, and that was their little, it was a little prayer room. And I mean, it's an itty-bitty thing. They have even a little... Um, like a child's chair up there, a wooden chair that you can sit on. Um, if you're claustrophobic, you don't want to go into that room. It, it, uh, it makes you a little uh, antsy. Um, what you see up there, are, if you can barely see it, are symbols of religions, um, various symbols. Um, and what's important for what I'm going to say is this, that, that symbols in the Celtic faith are very, very important. Um, when you don't have a language for the faith, when you don't have, uh, when everybody doesn't have a Bible to open up, um, symbols become a way of speaking. And so we're going to spend a little time talking about symbols before we get into an exercise that you can um, take home with you or do at home this. Um, as Presbyterians, I think most of us are pretty familiar with the symbol of the circle. And um, if, you, if you go into our sanctuary and look at what amounts to our high cross, uh, way up there at the Reredos in the, the very back, um, you'll see our Celtic cross, and it has a circle around it. Um, we talked earlier, somebody talked earlier about the fact that the Celtic Christians adopted for themselves a lot of the symbols that 
the, 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 the people into the local people already used in their own understanding of their own faith tradition or religion, um, a lot of it pagan. Um, we often talk about the fact that we have Christmas trees, and of course, that's stolen from pagan religions or understandings of um, the use of evergreen and protection from the evil gods or the bad gods. Um, in, in Scotland, the circle uh, had a lot of things attached to it, a lot of ideas, um, images attached to it. Um, you know, it represents God's love, birth of Alpha and Omega, eternity, that which he, there has no beginning or end, wedding rings, you know, we all wear wedding rings, weddings, marriages don't begin or they don't end, although they do begin. Um, one of the images that, well, no, let's do this first, okay. Um, that is, if we're looking at circles, most of us know and realize if we, if we look at the cross in the sanctuary or any Celtic cross, um, they are built on interweaving threads, um, which the threads themselves are, are made to be seen as round. Um, they interlock with each other, and they move from either outward in or inward out. Um, and it's all connected. Everything appears to be connected to everything else. You may not see the direct connection, but because it is woven, it appears to be everything, everything is connected to everything uh, in circular form. There is a legend of St. Patrick, and I don't know if, if, I hope you didn't tell it last week, we'll see, um, that as St. Patrick was moving around in the various um, villages, um, one of the things, one of the objects, obviously, of great worship was the sun. Um, and even, even if we think today, what does the sun mean to us? It means warmth, it means daylight, uh, it means seasons. It, 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 it is the more or less the center. We wait for sunrise, we, we uh, grieve sunset. Um, so everywhere that Patrick would go, he would see um, what amount to these, they're called high stones. And they are stones that pagans would, would push up and sit. And on a lot of these stones, not on this one, um, there would be um, that circle drawn or a circle drawn. And um, it was a place for pagans to stop and worship where they were journeying to. So it was this place or another. They, um, they would find these places to stop and give thanks to God for the sun for whatever protection and travel, um, whichever. The, the, oh, I do have the picture. Um, the tradition says that um, St. Patrick came upon um, a group of pagan worshipers, and they were standing at a high stone, and there was the circle there. And that as um, St. Patrick began to explain the gospel to them, um, and talk about Christ, he made their stone an object lesson. You might figure it out. That he drew a cross over the circle, or amongst the circle. Um, so he's using one of their symbols, incorporating it into um, a taught understanding of, of the faith. Um, of which uh, now we can, we can attend all kinds of um, metaphor or image to as we now look at it 16, 1700 years later. Um, this is the picture I was looking for that I also had a screen for. I forgot I'd put it on here. Those are the doors into the main sanctuary, which is a really rough place, folks. It's not, um, if you think our pews are uncomfortable, uh, go in there. It's it's um, it's archaic. It's uh, rough. It it gives off a visceral sense of uh, 
that which is holy, but not all cleaned up for polite society. There is a big altar at the end, um, at the far end of those doors. There's a huge baptismal font right in the middle of the whole thing. Um, and yet when you go in for worship, it's, um, it's all lay-led. People like me are unemployed on Iona. Um, the leaders of the Iona community um, lead the worship. They will give the sermons. Um, I had the distinct pleasure, the delight of meeting um, a woman who was on the board of Iona, and she was their representative there for the week. <coughs> Each board member has to spend at least two weeks a year on Iona, and they oversee every, everything. And she was telling me about her life um, as a member of the community. She actually lived on the mainland in Scotland, um, not far outside Glasgow. But so if you're, if you're able to see this, then there's the high cross Can you, in the shadow. I wanted to catch the cross. I'm so creative. I wanted to catch the cross, the shadow of the cross covering the door uh, into what would have been the, um, the burial place of Columba. Um, okay, so the, getting back to the high cross. Um, incorporating the, the images and the symbols of the local people um, was important to Patrick, it was important to Columba, um, and it remains an intricate part of how they choose to deal with history as it enters into common day. Um, so what I would like us to consider, um, and, and scripturally, I, you know, I don't think we didn't even open with prayer, did we? David was in such a rush, we'll close with prayer. Um, but uh, as we look from, from the Judeo-Christian perspective um, and the meaning of circle, we might choose to look at Isaiah 40 and uh, have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told to you from the beginning, you have not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. It's the perfect passage for Ionians because it speaks of God sitting above, and think symbolically here, uh, the circle of the earth, um, and we are the grasshoppers. Um, but it, it's about, ultimately then, it's about power and bringing the rulers of the earth to naught. Yes? Yeah. What exactly that means is another matter because um, that's, a whole, that's a whole lesson in biblical geography um, heavens earth below the heavens and it's it's always in a circular form so it's not circle as in a ball as we may think of it circle as in a plate perhaps sitting up is a slightly better a metaphor to use um, but again the the idea of circle and God sitting above uh, the circle as we Christians consider this, um, I did the wrong one here. Come on, gotta do this first. Um, we can ask ourselves, and I want to do this: What does the circle represent for us as people of faith? We mentioned some of them: marriage. Um, you know, love never ends. Um, no beginning, no ending, alpha and omega. What else does the circle seem to represent for us as people of faith? We are surrounded, 360 degrees, yep.
passing on, nothing can say, these are good. Yeah, passing on the faith, that the faith must continue. Um, and then what did you say, I'm sorry? Yeah, nothing, one end is not left from another. Yeah, every, there is no, no part of the circle is better than any other part of the circle. It has no higher standing, no lesser standing in a perfect circle. There are, right, there, the circle is, we don't talk about bits of circles. It's, got, it's either a circle or it's not. It encompasses the whole thing. Um, you might also think that if there's a circle, there's an inside of the circle. And what is to be found on the inside of the circle for people of faith? Okay. Peace, joy, love, hope. Um, think of it in that way. The earth is a circle. Creation itself is a circle. The heavens are a circle above the earth. What else? Cycle. Beautiful. Very Celtic thinking, by the way. Cycle. Cyclicalnessness. Um, back in one sense to the Alpha and Omega, but also thinking in terms of seasons. Physical um, seasons, climatic seasons, but also seasons of our life. Um, church season, season of our tradition. I almost swore, but I um, I I realize that um, I I myself am to be blamed for this. I I realize Um, this thing's is that it. We're hoping, aren't we, Jack? What else? Any other images pop into mind? God's love never ends. Christ's rule never ends. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Something for you to consider this week doing. Um is going, uh, spending one day a week in each room of your home or in different parts of your yard, if it's nice out, and look for circles. Um, and, and the reason I, you know, why would we do this? Why would we do this? We do it because in the Celtic tradition, there's, there's a high importance on the understanding that God is in everything. God is everywhere. Christ is in all things. Um, so if you take something as simple as a circle and start looking around this room, um, I see the clock. I see the lanterns, uh, I see my, wa- my watch, I see my can of holy water, um, I see the lamp shining out. What else do you see as a circle? The human face? The human face, yeah, yeah, circle-esque. What else do you see that's a circle? The tables you're sitting at. The tables you are sitting at. The legs of the chair you are sitting on. The legs of the table, holding the table up. The candles. The picture. So what becomes important in in a lot of Celtic theology is to pay attention to the symbols and what the symbols remind you of. So that even as you're walking through your home and you see a symbol you are reminded that God is sitting above the circle. Um, I was doing an exercise. I was in Perth 
at a, um, I guess we'd call it a nunnery, it's, they call it a retreat center, but it was a nunnery, and was undergoing some, some spiritual counseling with an old Irish nun that had been there about 10 years. She was pining to get home to Ireland, but this is where she was. And, and she was sending me out day by day to walk um, in the countryside of Scotland and to look for things where, where we would see God. And there was one day, way off in the distance, there was, I think it was a lady riding a horse. And she was just kind of lightly trotting, you know. And it was, it was probably at least 100 yards away, maybe 200. And as I watched her trot the horse, um, so many images came into my mind. Um, Jesus... Um, God bearing Jesus into the world. Um, the, the image of, of the Christian warrior entered my mind. Not one I'm particularly fond of, but there it was. Um, <coughs> the, the image of the beast of burden um, and, and God creating even it the image of, of pilgrimage, because she was off somewhere. Um, in the Celtic tradition, this is how you want to engage your world. You want to see those things around you as representing God, and you want, you want to see God at work in all things. So, try this couple days this week. Just sit in one room of your house. You'll be amazed at how many things in the circular, circular form <coughs> that you're going to find. And then reread a couple times Isaiah 40. Um, and this notion, and visualize this notion that um, God sits above the circle of the earth. If you do that enough, it becomes part of your, part of your overall library of images that bring God into the, the very present place you are. Um, there are lots of other images that we can talk about, but the, the circle we do today. Um, all right? Any other last comments before I hand it back to Greg? Yes? Oh, how many? I think the, the um, total population year-round is about 215. It's small, but also the places that are inhabitable are, are pretty limited. A lot of it is rocky cliffs uh, that is fun to go exploring, but I wouldn't want to live out amongst it. Um, yeah. The symbol for pagan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. If you go on Iona, you'll see about four of them. Now, they are not those rocks anymore. They are what we call the high cross, which um, is the one that I pointed out there in front of the, the secret doorway and, and the cubby hole. Um, now you can find those on Iona. You can find a lot of them on Mull, which Greg talked about, kind of the middle island off the mainland land before you get onto Iona. Um, there's some high crosses there, too. By the way, some of the scariest driving I've ever done is the Iona Mall where it is one lane, both ways. <laughs> one lane, four, both ways. And the buses, these, the, yeah, oh yeah, these huge buses that just barrel down these things. And if you're coming the other way, you'll have to use this. No, I'll, do, I'll, I'll do this, it's fine. Okay, all right, I have to go get sheep, ready for worship. The sheep See you later. are right there, and, the, the uh, right there? and if you meet somebody, whoever was closest to the half mile has to back up and get in, in what they call the lay-by. Very, very exciting. Because you got the mountain on one side and, and the ocean on the other side. Uh, I want to briefly do something and then we'll go into our, our prayer together. We've talked about this Celtic and Roman way of evangelism. And this is a picture of Holy Island that introduces where we're going to go next week. And the, the uh, ruins of the chapel, chapel there. They're the Roman and Britain, St. Ninian was... He had come many, a couple centuries before 
St. Aidan had come to Northumbria, and he had won supposedly a lot of people to Christ. But by the time that St. Aidan came there to the Holy Island, to Northumbria, this group of people had really become very apostate. And the idea was that they were after a decision for Jesus rather than a disciple of Christ. And it's a big, there's a big difference there. Today, I think that makes sense in some way, as opposed to committing their lives and everything about them to Christ. And I, I, I just want to end with this on, uh, as, as part of trying to help us understand what was happening in this tradition and show you kind of where we are in this progression, that St. Patrick, of course, was the Englishman that went to Ireland, and then St. Columba was the Irishman that went to Scotland, and then St. Aidan was the Scotsman that went back to England, and you can see this progression. And St. Cuthbert was one of St. Aidan's uh, disciples that we'll learn about. But this island that you see here is called St. Aidan's Island for a reason, and it has a lot to do with what Dave was just asking us to do. He was this, this head, if you will, of this entire community, both religiously and there's a lot of political and social uh, concepts that he was the head of. And you can imagine every day, St. Aidan, St. Aidan, you know, and they were begging him to do this, that, the other thing, and he kept trying to go into his, what Dave just asked us to do, his, his experience with God on a daily basis, and he kept getting interrupted. So he rose out to this little island. This is just off of Holy Island, the small island that you see. And he would go out there. But you know what? They would come to the edge. You can see how close it is. It's not very far. They would come to the edge of it, and they would start, you know, yelling, St. Aidan. Well, he, the next time he goes back out, he's got a shovel, and he starts to go out, and he starts to dig a hole. And many, there, was, uh, there was a tradition, particularly of St. Columba and some of the other saints, that they had a premonition of when they were going to die. And they were now on the island saying, oh, my goodness. He's digging his grave, and the dirt comes flying out, and they can see his shoulders, and then they can see his head, and then they can just see the dirt coming out. And when he came back to the, to the main island, they said, what are you doing? And he said, I have to find a place where I can go to be with God. And he went out and dug this hole so he couldn't hear or be seen so that he could have his holy time with God. And one of the things that this is a lesson for us and what Dave has just asked us to do is to create a sacred place. Where is it in your life that you can go to have that daily time with Jesus? That's what the Celtic evangelist understood, that we need a sacred place. Create that place in your own home, wherever you might go, create that place and then a sacred time to go and be there and then take your sacred tools, your Bible. They never, they never, they didn't just go contemplate circles. They took the Bible with them. And by the way, that passage was the passage that the, that the writer of the movie Chariots of Fire that talked about Eric Little, the Scottish runner, and put that, if you remember, that's what he was reading when he should have been, in some people's minds, running on the Lord's Day. And that's the scripture that he chose because that's been so much part of that Celtic tradition of going into your own, um, your, your own sacred space and place. Okay, I want to do one other thing here for our prayer before we go. Um, and if you remember from last week, I will pray the, the more bolded things, and then you will pray the, the italicized things with me. And Rich is going to put on, I think, a little bit of our background music. And we just want to enter into just for the last couple minutes just a, an attitude of prayer and try to experience a, a traditional Celtic prayer that is Trinitarian in its basis. And so you'll see some of these high crosses that Dave is talking about as a background. All right, so in the name, join me now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
And now I'll pray, this day, O Heavenly Father, and we all join in, is thy gift to me to worship, praise, and enjoy thee, to serve thee and thy people. I thank thee for this gift. Give me the strength and wisdom to live it worthily. Remind me thou hast blessed me with work to do. Pause on that and reflect. What is the work that God has given you to do? This day, O oh Jesus Christ, all of us, now at the end of each of these that have the three dots, we'll pause for you to reflect for a moment. All that I am, I place in thy hands and trust thee with. This day, O oh Jesus Christ, all that I do, I place in thy hands and trust thee with. What will you do today? This day, O oh Jesus Christ, all that I endeavor, I place in thy hands and trust thee with. This day, O oh Jesus Christ, all that I hope for, I place in thy hands and trust thee with. What are your hopes today? This day, O oh Jesus Christ, all that I pray for, I place in thy hands and trust these with. This day, O oh Holy Spirit, give me guidance for each decision I will need to make. Guard my choosing. What decisions are you faced with? This day, O oh Holy Spirit, give me clarity for each dilemma I will face. Guard my motivations. Are your true motivations Christ-centered? This day, O oh Holy Spirit, give me compassion for each person I will encounter. Guard my interactions. This day, O Holy Spirit, give me strength for each mountain I will climb. Guard my resolve. Where do you need to be strengthened? This day, O Lord, keep me close to thee. What keeps you from him? This day, O oh Lord, keep me focused on thy call and purpose for my life. What distracts you? This day, O oh Lord, help me to seek thy presence. Will you seek him this day? This day, O oh Lord, help me look for the ancient paths of saints who have preceded me and recognize the well-worn trails of previous pilgrims. Who led you to faith? Who is continuing to lead you? This day, O oh Holy Three-in-One, bring healing to. Who do you know that needs healing? This day, O Holy Three-in-One, bring hope to. Who do you know that needs hope? 
this day, O Holy Three in One, bring happiness to. Who needs the joy of the Lord this day that you know? This day, O Holy Three in One, bring harmony to. Think of countries, of individuals. And let us stay together this day. We will live for the glory of the Father. We will kneel before Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are powered by the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This picture is taken from a little bit of a rock outcropping that is right behind the cathedral there. And when Jane and I came out that day, there was a man playing a tin whistle that just kind of reverberated. We had just come out of this time of prayer where people who never knew each other couldn't I wouldn't recognize any of those people if they were in this room today. And yet we prayed to the Lord. We prayed for the concerns of the world. And this man was up there, almost like this music we're hearing. And you felt like there are truly places and times in which the Holy Spirit is so present. And that's the essence of the Celtic spirituality, to find that place, to find that time, and to take those tools to go to have the living Lord Jesus minister to you so that you can go and minister to others. May we go do that now at a sacred space and a sacred time, joining together with people who we do know and be nourished for our week together. All right, next week we're moving to Wales, we're moving to Lindisfarne, and we'll continue our journey in Celtic spirituality. Thanks.